Church, it's so good to have you today, and Merry Christmas to you. It's already Christmas. I know at my house, it started back in about July, so um, we're thankful uh, that, it, that December's here. We've got a busy day ahead. We've uh, we got many things to do. we got uh, a baptism after the service, for which we're thankful. We have uh, a business meeting, for which we're thankful, of course, and that's going to be real quick, and we'll do that right at the end of the service, but I'm excited to share with you some of the things we're going to be doing uh, in 2023 for uh, the budget and really for the Great Commission, because that's really what a church budget should be all about, amen? And I want to introduce some guests with us today. I'm so uh, excited uh, to have this group from, I, I, got, I want to make sure I got it right, Rocky Face Baptist Church, right? And it's, and, and, and it's Hidden Night, North Carolina. And folks, you don't know where Hidden Night is, I guarantee you. They, they do, but I don't even think I do, and I've been around a lot. And this is, uh, this is Pastor Ryan Hodges that we met just uh, a few years, or really just about a year ago, and came to our conference last year with some of his folks, and uh, they got a great church. And then he's got Steve and Sherry and Debbie and Jameson, Teresa, Aaron, and Tao. Well, you guys stand right here on the third row. Let's thank them for being here with us today. You guys can be seated. And I, I, let me tell you why they're here. I, I want to tell you, uh, they came this weekend from North Carolina uh, to go over to our Mayport campus and, and, and to help with some projects. And uh, they painted the fellowship hall and did a number of other things with Pastor Aaron. And uh, we put it out there uh, not too long ago to just some people out on the internet and other places that we were uh, endeavoring to plant these churches, both the one in Mayport and the Spanish church. And there were several churches that... Uh, that, that reached out to us and said they wanted to be a part of it. And that's a blessing, isn't it? To know that it's not just our church, but other churches that are working together, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And these folks gave their weekend. I couldn't be any more grateful uh, that you came down to do that. We're looking forward to more fruit uh, in the days to come that will abound uh, to your account and to our account for laboring, giving, sacrificing, working uh, so that new churches can be formed uh, here in Jacksonville and, of course, around the world. So thank you guys. And Pastor, uh, sure appreciate you. What a blessing. And one of the first guys that reached out to me and said that they wanted to be a part. I, I, uh, my attitude was, we're, we're going to do this no matter what, uh, but if some preachers and churches would be willing to help us a little bit, it would go a long way. And you guys have, have uh, been a real blessing. We're so, so thankful. Thank you for, for sticking around and joining us this weekend. I hope, I hope you have uh, enjoyed St. Augustine and Jacksonville and the beautiful area that God's given us. Let's take our Bibles and go to Acts chapter 12 this morning, if you would. Acts chapter 12 and verse number 1. I, uh, we are officially breaking from our series for a while, beginning today. And uh, I, I'm not used to this. I'm used to just preaching through books and series. But I really feel like uh, this morning I'm going to preach a sermon that's going to really be uh, focused on where we're headed next year as a church. Uh, and what I really feel to be really a theme uh, that I want to establish for our church next year. I, I realize that really a church only has one theme, okay, and that's Jesus, okay. That's the theme of any church. But I also feel like there are times where uh, God will put an, a point of emphasis. This just needs to be, this needs to be kind of a focal point. And I, I told some of you when I came back this summer from my, my break that I really, uh, I, you know, you may have thought that I would have come back from our break with some more profound insight on this is kind of philosophically or programmatically where we need to be as a church. And I found myself over and over again this summer coming back to this one thing that over and over and over again God kept putting on my heart 
as a matter of emphasis for our church. And then I, I thought, you know, as we step into a new year, it's going to be a great time to implement it and, and make it a, a point of emphasis. And the simplicity of it is what shocked me. Because oftentimes I've come back uh, from, you know, uh, maybe a prayer retreat or a, or a planning retreat. And I really, you know, have, these are several things we want to start, several things we want to do. But it just kept, one word just kept repeating in my heart over and over and over again as I thought about, what do we really need? What does our church really need? And the only word that I could come up with after all the thinking, all the praying, all the time away was this. Prayer. Prayer. We don't need anything more at our church than to pray. There's nothing more to do. We're doing a lot. And the fact of the matter is, there can be a whole lot of doing with not a lot of praying. And if God's not in it, then, then I, I, don't, I don't want to be a part of it. And the only way that I know that God gets in the middle of something is where two or three are gathered in my name. He gets in the middle of that. And they agree upon this earth as touching anything. And so uh, I am going to put a huge emphasis. I'll give you some practical ways in which we're going to do that during the message. But I want to, I want to preach to you about that tonight. As we look in the Bible at a church that had a powerful ministry of prayer. Would you notice would be in Acts chapter 12, verse 1. Now, about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. So, when he had arrested him, he put him in prison... And delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Easter. Peter, therefore, was kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. Amen. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, the power of a praying church. The power of a Praying church. I want to ask God to help us this morning. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you'll use this message in our lives and that you will set a course of prayerful dependence in our lives as individuals and as a church. And God, as we will learn in our meeting to follow this sermon, we have some big plans we have some big budgets for those plans. But God, if you do not intervene in the middle of all of it, it will all be money spent and labor wrought for nothing. And so, Lord, we, we pray, asking you to forgive us for being so careless and prayerless. And Lord, acknowledging our absolute dependence upon you. We love you and we need you and we claim these things because of Jesus. Amen. You are sitting literally and physically in the middle of a miracle. There's so many new people at our church, I struggled and wrestled with how to share this, but I felt like it was important for many of you who are so new to the church. I mean, the vast majority of you have, have come here in the last two years. And we came to this property in 2018, so just about everybody in this room 
has no context of the building that we all enjoy now. This 50,000 square feet of building and these six acres and 162 parking spots and a fully furnished gym and kitchen and uh, office space and 350 seat auditorium and, and classrooms and fellowship halls and all these things that were here have not always been here for us. And I came to this church in 2016. It was Harvest Baptist Church then. And in 2016 to 2018, God really orchestrated a, a number of exciting things. Our church used to be just right down the road here on Rojero. So if you turn right on Merrill Road and left on Rojero and go down about a mile and a half, you'll see what is now called the Citadel Church uh, used to be our church. That's where I came to. And I'd, I'd, I'd really invite any of you that uh, don't know this to do that today. Like leave church today, turn right out of the parking lot, turn left on, on uh, Rojero Road, drive about a mile and a half to the corner of Lillian Road and Arlington Road and look just to the left and you're going to see what you would be surprised even is a church building. Uh, it's called the Citadel Church now and, and just look, pull in the parking lot for a second. Pull in the parking lot and just maybe get out of your car for a second. I do it from time to time. Get out and just look around, walk around for a second. And then, and then, and then maybe then turn around if you got lunch, uh, if you got time before lunch, and turn around, drive back here, pull on this property, and then do the same thing, look around again. And in 2016, we came, my wife and I came with our two kids at the time, and, and we started uh, reaching people and, and working, and, and God was beginning to bless the church, and, and uh, it began to grow very quickly, and and we had to start being really creative with parking spaces. There's a, there's a strip mall across the street from the church. We had to have all of our leaders and families park across the church because basically we had to use the parking lot for guests. We had to turn a basketball court into a parking lot. It was, it was an extraordinary time. And, and, and at, 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 the, at the end of 2017, we began to pray about relocating. And so we thought and planned that the way of relocating for us was going to be to buy property and build a church building. In fact, we did that. We bought a 20-acre piece of property off of the Arlington Expressway. Some of you would know now that it's a brand new set of condos uh, that was built by D.R. Horton uh, right there now. They're called Rivergate. That property where Rivergate is right now used to be owned by our church, very temporarily so. And we went out there and we bought the property. And In fact, we paid about $70,000 for an architect to draw brand new drawings for a building. Beautiful parking lot, beautiful building, phase one of a three-phase building project that was going to cost several million dollars. And, man, we were marching forward by faith. I honestly, this day, still have no idea how we thought we were going to do it because when I look at it now, I'm thinking to myself, that was crazy. It's really all crazy. And I got a phone call one day. We had a sign put up in the, in the, in the yard that said, a future home of River City Baptist Church. There was not even a River City Baptist Church at the time. It was, that's not even what it was called. So we put a sign out there like everybody does because that's just what I thought you were supposed to do. Put a sign out there that says future home of. And, and so we put it out there. I was driving down the road one day and got a call from a woman that said, hey, uh, my name is so-and-so. I am on the church council at St. Matthew's Lutheran Church uh, on Merrill Road. And we understand that you're getting ready to build a church building. And we would like to ask you if you would consider buying our church building instead of building the church building that you're intending to build. To this day, I have no idea how she knew who I was and certainly how she got my personal cell number, but I guess, guess God was just trying to get away for us to get together. So over the next 
few weeks and months really leading into uh, the fall of 2017, almost into the January time of 2018, we began to talk and pray. And I remember telling our leaders at the time, guys, look, uh, God's given us a vision to do this. And so the only way that I would even be able to, to discern at all that God would want us to stop our building plans to throw away a $70,000 architectural drawing, to come over here and buy essentially, quote-unquote, a used car when we're getting ready to build a new car. God's just going to have to make it in such a way that it is so clear and so direct and so obvious that he wants us to do it. There would be no way for us to turn it down. We'd have to know it was of him. That's how we begin to pray. God, you're going to have to make this so obvious. We knew nothing about this place. We come and walk around the place, took videos of the place. My wife was with me. Some of our deacons were with me. I was talking to Dave Andrews before the service. He, he was telling me he still got videos on his, on his phone of us walking through the property the first time. This, build, this room right here was, was a Lutheran building. It had, it had these old uh, pinkish, I don't, even know if, I don't even know if it was an actual color, mauve, pink, some weird exchange of tile here. Each of the benches had these kneeling benches down. Uh, there was no baptistry. There's still no baptistry. We baptized outside because, again, it was a Lutheran church. They had a, they had a bowl down here at the front where they, they, they poured water on the heads of, of babies that were being baptized. Uh, the, the, there was a humongous pipe organ uh, that, was, that, that, that was here and, and had these like pipes sticking out in the front. It was, it was just bizarre. It was old, it was dated, most of the, the most recent updates I think were in the 1970s or maybe 80s or something. It was just, just a very unique situation. So we walked in, we did the tour, it was not very impressive, but, but again, we're praying, God, if you want this to happen, it's going to have to be an absolute miracle and something amazing is going to have to take place. So we sat down in a conference room with our church leadership and their church leadership, and they, I remember the first thing they did was they, 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 they showed us around, then they pulled out this big notebook, and the notebook was basically uh, accounting ledgers. And it showed properties and values and, 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 and tax estimates, and they were basically trying to show us how much the property was worth. And then after they showed us how much the property's worth, they basically then turned to us and said, well, this is about how much the property's worth, and we think we can start the negotiations here, which was basically about what the property was worth. And, and I, I said respectfully to the people that I was talking to, guys, look, I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful here, but I, I want you to know that we already have plans. And, and, and I've already told you that if God was, was going to bring us to this building in this place, he's going to have to do a miracle. I'm not looking for a good deal. I'm not looking for a clearance sale. Okay, I'm looking for a, like a miracle. Like God's going to have to drop it and say, look, this is, you have to do this. This would be foolish not to do this. And so, uh, so then I turned around in the same meeting and said, you know what? I, I, I feel like a prayer miracle would be, and I threw out a dollar amount, which was less than a third of what the whole property was worth. And I thought, you know what, if you can get a property like this for about a third of what it's worth in an economy like we're in, now that would maybe constitute a real clear sign from God that this is supposed to happen. And when I threw that number out to them, they just completely laughed at us. In fact, a couple of them were upset. One guy said something to me I don't even want to repeat. And I just thought to myself, wow, he's not, he did not like what I just said. And then again, I threw my hands up and said, guys, I'm not, I'm not here to negotiate. I'm certainly not here to argue. This is not a negotiation meeting. I'm not here like, this is not a Harvard Business Review journal entry. I'm not here like trying to do business. I'm trying to do God's business. And look, there's only one way this is going to work. If God's in it, he's going to dump it on our lap. If he's not in it, then I'm going to go build the church building just like I intended to build. 
And boy, we walked out of that room and we were so discouraged because we thought, well, you know, that didn't go very well. You know, I guess I'm not the best negotiator in the world. And, and, and we went back to the church and we sat down in the church, uh, the office at the other church with all the leaders. And, 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 and they, they looked at me and said, well, pastor, what are we going to do? I said, well, we're going we're gonna to build the building. That's what we're going to do. And then one man raised his hand and said, well, pastor, what if they call us back and they take your ridiculous offer? And I said, well, that'll be it. That'll be our line in the sand. That'll be that we know God orchestrated all these events and worked it out that we're here. And the very next day, they called us back and said, we'll take the offer as you presented it. And it wasn't just a dollar amount that was the amazing thing. Here's the even more amazing thing about it. We didn't have the dollar amount. It's one thing to get an amazing, miraculous deal. It's another thing to do it when you don't even have the money to do it. And so, not only did they do it, they also said, you know what? We realize that the position that you guys are in, and they said, here's what we're, we're willing to do. We're willing to just basically fund the note ourselves, and when you sell your church building, we'll just write it in the contract that you'll just give that money to us. And then when you sell the camp property out of McClinney, you can do the same thing. And little by little, over the next two years, if we sold a piece of property or sold something, we just funded this operation to where when we came right down to the end, the amount of money that needed to actually be financed for the building that we are setting is so low, it's almost laughable. And then when you think about how much it is compared to what the actual value is now, it's literally a gold mine. Now, folks, I could go on about not just that, about our church. I could go on about my life. I see the evidence of his goodness all around. And I am telling you today that we serve the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, you turn from idols to serve the living and true God. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25, to whom will you liken me? Who shall be my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and behold who created these things. Who brings out the hosts of stars by their number. Who calls them by their names and the greatness of his might. Who is he that is strong and full of power and does not fail. Isaiah 45 verse 5, look unto me all ye ends of the earth and be saved for I am God and there is none else. I just came to remind you this morning, that's whose side we're on today. We're on the side of the living and true God. We're on the side of the one who hears and answers our prayer. Hebrews 4.16 says, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And this is even better news. The God who is and the God who answers prayer is limited by nothing and has the power to do everything. The rhetorical question is asked in Genesis 18 and verse 4, is anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah 32 and verse 17, O oh Lord, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth, and by your power and outstretched arm, and there is nothing too hard for you. And Luke 1.37, I shared with the men this morning in a prayer meeting, and Luke 1.37, which is a Christmas text, one of the most famous verses in all the Bible is mentioned 
And it's where Mary says, is, is it, with God, there is nothing shall be impossible. Now think about the context in which this statement was made. She has just found out that she is going to have the Messiah. She knows in her heart that she has never been with a man. The sheer shock of the, of the announcement, the sheer magnitude of the miracle led to only one thing. With God, there's nothing that is impossible. Look, if God can bring a child into the womb of a woman who's never been with a man, then that is evidence that God is also able to do absolutely everything, and nothing's too hard for him. And I'm just telling you, when I read these things in the Bible, and I believe that these accounts are all true, and every verse I just read for you is absolutely as true as John 3.16, then I'm here to tell you we should never be willing to settle with weak, feeble, powerless, anemic, sickly churches, sickly families and individuals the blessings of God, God gone and robbed from the average church Ichabod stamped on the front door the power of God absent we should be absolutely in most cases reproved by the ineffectiveness of our witnesses by the lack of our impact by our baptismal waters being not stirred by people not being saved it ought to concern us church it ought to concern us that we are serving a God that is much better than what I just tried to describe to you. And it's real, and he's real, and all of this is possible and available for each and every one of us for the taking. And I want to say to you folks, something's got to change. Something's got to change in us. Nothing's changed in God. By the way, nothing needs to change in God. If something needs to change, it needs to change in us. What is it that fundamentally connects us to these promises, to these realities? Answer, prayer. That's your answer. And in Acts chapter number 12, verses 1 through 6, you see a church get tapped in to the trunk line. You see a church get to the kernel. You see a church get to the answer. You see a church that prayed and God intervened. So let's learn this morning what we can learn about a praying church. Number one, I want you to see that miracles by God are consumed or conceived, excuse me, in the, in the womb of human need. They are conceived in the womb of human need. What is it that created this church's need to pray? Look, if you will, at verse number one. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James the brother of John with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. There was an attack from an enemy, a pointed attack. Uh, this attack from the government that was on uh, this particular church was a pointed political attack to literally stop the church in uh, its tracks from doing what this church was intended to do. And, and, and like many churches in the first century, as we read in the book of Acts, these attacks were consistent, they were persistent, they never let up. And folks, I want to remind you that any time God is at work in a church or a life, there is going to be political, persistent attacks on that particular congregation or person. And you should not view your struggle or the antagonism towards you or the difficulty with which you may be experiencing uh, something in your life as an evidence that God is not with you. You may want to be considered as an actual evidence that God is, in fact, with you. So this attack was, was real. This attack was from uh, an enemy. And also then we see that the need was created for someone to pray. Now, church, this is, this is, I think, the, often the missing element. 
when there is an attack, when there is an assault, when there are needs, when, when something is not going well, it, it actually provides a vacuum. It provides a need. It provides an opportunity, if you will, for somebody to step up and step in and pray something about it. I mean, you think of, you think of uh, Moses and Israel, uh, Exodus chapter number 32. When God told them, look, because of their rebellion, I am going to step in. I am going to destroy them. Moses, I'm going to give them, uh, excuse me, I'm going to give you a brand new nation that will be named after you. Think about this. Think about, think about how Moses' pride meter could have been moved there. Well, you know, according to the kind of things he was dealing with, the kind of people that he was uh, fussing with all the time, it probably didn't sound like a bad out. But what did Moses do? Moses did not uh, take that opportunity. Moses rather turned it into a moment of intercessory prayer. God, don't do this. God, this is your name. This is your reputation. This is what you said you would do. God, please take my life instead of theirs. He stood in the gap. I mean, I think of another illustration of this in the Old Testament when David and his men are running from Saul and they find a little bit of refuge in, uh, 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 they're looking for refuge in a home, a, a woman by the name of Abigail and a man that she's married to uh, by the name of Nabal and, and Abigail uh, went to and ministered to and, and cared for the servants of David and David himself after Nabal foolishly and in a wicked way turned them away. And what did Abigail do? I mean, David was ready to rise up and go in and wipe out Nabal. He was going to destroy him and his household. But what did Abigail do? She put together a food basket and she brought it over and she arrived at the presence of David and she got down off of her, off of her animal and she got on her knees and she basically begged David, David, don't do this. Please think about Lot and Abraham. Over in Genesis chapter 18, God says, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. What did Abraham do? He got down on his knees before God and said, God, wait a second. If there's 50 righteous people, if there's 45 righteous people, if there's 40 righteous people, if there's 30 righteous people, and it's a prayer meeting, folks, what is it? It's a man who saw a need and a man who got a hold of God. Here's what I'm saying to you, church. Miracles, answers to prayer, are conceived in our lives when we are in human need. Can I see, show you a second thing though? Miracles are also correlated to the work of faithful prayer. And I use that word correlated carefully. What I mean by that is that prayer and miracles go together. And the first thing that precipitates the need, or excuse me, prayer is the need. But what we find then is that then the need is blended together with the work of faithful prayer and the product is an answer. I wonder if there's anybody here in the room that actually believes what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about that prayer, faithful prayer, and miraculous answers to prayer are co-related. And they are related and should be related in our lives. I mean, I just, I look at verse number five and I think about, boy, I wonder if I could plug my name in here. Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by Brian. Plug your name in there. I mean, it tells us there that, that, that Peter was in a terrible situation. Peter was in prison. Peter was in need. And what did the church do? The church got to the work of faithful prayer. Prayer should be our first and immediate instant uh, response to any kind of pressure, stress, or need in our lives. This prayer was public. It was made of the church. This prayer was particular. It was a specific need. It was a specific person. It was a specific situation. 
This prayer was persistent. It was without ceasing. And this prayer, of course, was powerful. Because God absolutely, specifically, directly, and miraculously answered this prayer request. We see in verse number 12 that there were many people gathered together. Notice what it says. So when they had considered this thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. Folks, this was a prayer meeting. I know we've we've gone such a long way in our churches from this idea. But I want to remind you that there is a desperate need not only for individual prayer, but also for corporate prayer. And I'm embarrassed, honestly. I'm embarrassed to stand before you as the pastor of this church and tell you that somehow, some way, I let something as silly and foolish as COVID somehow stop me from doing what God has clearly told us that we're supposed to be doing. And there were specific and intentional corporate gatherings for prayer in this church until all of a sudden we decided that we needed to social distance. Folks, I'm going to tell you something right now. I'm never going to let something ever, once again, ever scare me away from doing what God's called us to do. You can do whatever you want to do. You can do whatever you need to do. But we're going to do what God wants us to do. And I understood the direct challenge of coming together, throwing our arms on one another, putting our hands on one another, praying in close proximity to one another. But folks, I want to tell you what, what it has demonstrated to me is that we oftentimes fear circumstances, we fear things, we fear people far more than we fear God. And there is no question about it in Scripture that if you want God to show up, then you pray together. You want God in your marriage? You're trying to sort it out, figure it out? You can't go to enough counselors that will solve what God could solve in five minutes if you just get on your knees together. You're worried about your kids? You're worried about their direction? You're worried about what they're struggling with? You're worried about their attitude? Why don't you try getting on your knees with your hands locked with your wife and lift up your voice and cry out to the God who can do something about it. You're concerned about finances. You're concerned about your future. You're concerned about a decision that you're going to, look, you can throw it out there on Facebook. You can try to get all the counsel you want. You can phone a friend. You can do anything that you want to do. But you also have this other option here, and that is get on your knees before God and get with a brother, get with a sister, get with your wife, get with your kids, get with your preacher, get with somebody that loves you, that knows God, and pray about it. That's what you can do. And folks, listen. I am stirred when I read about this story. I'm I'm talking about a a specific, immediate, dire, desperate situation that absolutely needed God's intervention right here and right now. And they got together and they prayed about it and God showed up big. And And it stirs me to what I believe God wants us to do here. I remember several years ago being in a youth, a youth meeting. I was preaching uh, at a youth conference, and it was, a, it was a kind of a conference where we were focused on inviting outside kids to come in. 
And so we would go out during the days and we'd invite all these kids to, to come to this event. And, and it was at the time our church in South Carolina. We had a large Christian school and youth group. And so we were, we were trying to get a few hundred kids to come to this event. And so we were going out to the public schools, inviting kids to come. And about the time the week showed up, the forecast for Hurricane Ivan had directed that that hurricane was going to come right up from Florida. And it was going to shoot right across uh, the, the, the upstate of South Carolina. And it was going to have an immediate impact on that meeting. I mean, it was going to devastate that meeting. And I remember thinking to myself, man, these kids are so amped up, and we have done so much work. God, if this storm hits us and this all happens, it's going to wipe this thing completely away. And I remember, believe it or not, I preached this sermon, or one similar to it, to those kids in a chapel on a Friday morning when outside, before school, the rains were howling, literally tree branches flying everywhere. And I went into the gymnasium. We had chapel in this gymnasium. And it had a metal roof. So when the song service is going and the sermon is starting, I mean, it is pounding rain. You can hardly hear the singing. You can, I can hardly hear myself talk. And I'm sitting there preaching a sermon about asking God basically to take away the rain. And I remember thinking to myself, God, I mean, I remember like feeling so, so uh, exposed. And I remember praying before the message, God, look, I, I, I believe you. Okay, I believe you whether you take this storm away or not. Right. Like I believe you can regardless. I believe that if you don't answer this prayer, I'm still going on like I'm good, no problem. Just like, just like I'm going to pray that somebody's healed from cancer, okay? I'm going to pray that way. But if God doesn't do it, it's not going to stop me from believing that, that God is God. God's, God's ways are higher than my ways. God's thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Like I, I, I hopefully am more spiritually mature than that, that I don't need God to answer every, at every beck and call that I issue. I've still got to trust him. But as I'm praying, I'm like, but God, there's probably a seventh grader out there or a, an eighth grader out there. I mean, they've kind of they've staked their claim on whether they even believe you're even real. So, so if you're not going to do it for me, maybe you do it for them. Now this is Friday in upstate South Carolina. We walked in the chapel. Literally the parking lot was so wet that water was up to our ankles walking from the church office out to the gymnasium. The, the thunderstorm is just destroying this, uh, t this metal roof on this building. And I'm preaching this sermon and the kids are literally at the end of the sermon, they are collected around the altar praying that God would stop this storm so we could have that service that night. And I'm not kidding. As soon, as soon as we got up, as soon as we got up from praying, one of the teenagers from the back slung open one of the back side doors of the gymnasium and walked in and yelled out to everybody, guys, you have got to see this. I'm not kidding. The whole chapel, all the teachers, me, everybody was involved, and all the kids walked outside. And you looked to the north, and there were dark, thunderous clouds with lightning flashing everywhere. And you looked to the south, and there were dark. Y'all looking at me like I'm not telling you the truth. I'm telling you right now, if I'm lying, I'm dying. I saw it with my very eyes. And, I mean, there was like an alleyway opened up right over that church campus. And it was not raining. It was actually sun shining. Interestingly enough, the weather report was so bad, they canceled all the public high school football games that night. And they just had already canceled them. So the kids had nothing better to do in upstate South Carolina than come out. And I'm telling you, they packed that gym out that night. Hundreds of kids came from the community to that service. And we were outside 
playing games. We came inside, had a service. I preached the gospel, and I think it was about 60 young people that night that gave their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, I watched some of those kids. I watched some of them. I know some of them to this day. Some of them that are pastors and youth pastors. Some of them that are serving God today. And they will go back and they'll say, it was 2005. That's where I was. It was 2005 where God was no longer a story on the printed pages of the Bible. But he was the Old Testament. He was the New Testament. And he was my testament. And I believe him. And I'm following him. Hey, you've got to have some of that in your life. You have to. You have to have answered prayers. You have to know that God is real. For some of us, it's just a story. For some of us, it's just what I believe. It's got to be more than that. And the only way that I know to connect the two is if you start praying. And so there's going to be a few things we're going to do this coming year, starting on January 8th. All I can do is provide you opportunities. I can't make you pray, but I'm making myself available to pray with you. So starting on January 8th, which is the second Sunday of January, we're going to do a few of these specific things. And I'm talking about within our church congregation first. So the first thing we're going to do is at every service, just like we give gospel invitations here We're going to have corporate prayer times, both at the beginning of the service for us to gather around and pray together. You got a prayer request, you bring it. If you got, if there's one thing you're going to know about this church, you'll be prayed for if you want to be. Now, if you don't want to be, that's okay. I can't make you be prayed for in the same way that I can't make you pray, but the opportunity is going to be there. I mean, we're going to stop in the middle of the song service and we're going to open up these altars and we're going to gather together and we're going to pray like we're supposed to every single, you can bank on it. If there's a church service at River City Baptist Church, there's going to be a prayer meeting at River City Baptist Church every single Sunday. At the end of those same services, we're going to do the same thing. It might be that something in the message touched your heart. Well, guess what? We're going to have a public opportunity for you to pray with be prayed for pray about pray something and guys as I've said before if you don't have anything to pray about then pray for me I've got about 20 things you can pray for me about right now every service starting at the end beginning of next year secondly every Sunday at 8 30 there will be both a men and a women's prayer meeting uh, taking place for about 45 minutes before Sunday school starts. And again, I know not everybody can, but some people can and some people should. And we don't don't just sit there and talk. We don't just fellowship. We have three specific seasons of prayer where we pray about very specific things. We talk about them, we share scripture, and then we pray every Sunday morning. Now, guys that have been meeting once a month for um, prayer breakfast, we're still going to do the breakfast once a month, but the only change is that the other three times a month, we're not going to have breakfast. We're just going to come together, and we are going to pray. Then there's two other things that we're going to do. Again, starting the week of January 8th, on Monday morning at 7.30, we're going to have a prayer video call with anybody that can make it. Hopefully it's enough before work that you can chime in even if it's from your phone sitting in the parking lot at your office or maybe from your desk at work. And that specific prayer meeting is going to be a 15-minute prayer meeting. And we're going to be praying specifically for all the ministry leaders that have been sent out of this church. As you know, Pastor Chan and Pastor Hector are going to be uh, pastor number seven and eight that have been sent out of this church over the last seven years. And we're going to be praying specifically for them. 
We're going to be praying for our missionaries that are sent out of our church. We're going to be praying for the church plants that are coming up uh, this next year. We're going to pray for Pastor Justin and Pastor Eric and Pastor Stephen and, uh, and Pastor, um, uh, oh goodness, uh, uh, who else am I missing? Mike. Justin, Mike, Mike, that's the one I was missing. They're in Indiana. And, and, and those guys are going to be on the call. I've already talked to them. Uh, they're going to come and they're going to, they're, going to, they're going to actually join the call and they're going to share those prayer requests with you. And then we're going to pray over those men. It's a ministry prayer call. Monday mornings at, uh, at 7.30. Call, I'm calling it the Great Commission Prayer Meeting. And, uh, actually, does that say Tuesday morning? Maybe I'll switch it to Tuesday. So Tuesday mornings at 7.30. And then Friday, uh, Fridays, again at 7.30 in the morning. And then any time throughout the day. Any time throughout the day. I am making myself available to anybody in the church that wants to pray. All day, anytime, you name it, I'm there. You can come to the office, you can call me on the phone, you can set an appointment. I'll have a Zoom meeting for as many people as want to be there at 7.30 in the morning before your work week starts. And that's my commitment to you. You got something to pray about? Then let's pray. Let's not talk about it. Let's not worry about it. Let's not run from it. Let's pray about it. And I'm praying that with these four different opportunities, just corporately, And this is not to mention some of the adjustments we'll be making in our small groups that will lead the small groups to more intentional prayer over the next year. These are our public opportunities to pray together as a church. And so I'm believing God. I'm believing God for big things. I'm believing God that if he can deliver Peter out of prison and he can uh, have an angel sent to unlock the doors and he can literally astonish these people and, and, and wow them with his presence, then I will not be willing to settle for anything less here at our church. And so miracles are correlated to the work of faithful prayer. Then finally, I want you to see that miracles are also created for a witness to God's power. The whole, the, whole, the whole purpose of the miracle is to deflect and reflect glory back to the God who answered the prayer. And obviously, if you come to God specifically and personally uh, and, and, and repeatedly about a particular matter, and then when it happens, we should believe that God answered the prayer and, 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 and consequently be willing to offer him praise and glory for what he has done. In verses 6 through 16, you see that Peter comes after being delivered from prison. And he goes and he, 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 he goes to the place where they had the prayer meeting. Now, I think that's interesting. Now, either, either Mary hosted a church in her home, which is very likely, or Mary just had a reputation that when there was a prayer meeting going on, it probably was taking place at her house. I don't know why, but I know that Peter counted on, listen to this, he counted on, I mean, when he woke up and realized what had happened, his instantaneous response was to go there. Now, the amazing thing is, when he gets there, it surprises them. If you look down at verse number 14 or 13, as Peter knocked at the door of the gate, a girl named Rhoda came to answer. When she recognized Peter's voice, because of her gladness, she did not open the gate, but ran in and announced that Peter stood before the gate. Watch this now. But they said to her, you are beside yourself. That's great faith, isn't it? Hey guys, look, you may, you may be tempted to believe that, that this prayer, this, this, that miraculous answers to prayer are up to you. They're not. What did Peter say on another, or what did, what did the disciples say on another place? Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. 
this is not about you and how much faith you have. The fact is, I can tell you about how much faith we all have. Very little. This isn't about how much faith do you have. This is about how much power does God have. And I may not be the most faith-filled person. Truth is, I'm probably not. I may not be the most faithful person. I'm not. Neither are you probably. I love that song we're singing, Oh, come all you unfaithful. Boy, I don't know about you. I resonate with that one more than the old song, Come All You Faithful. Because the truth of the matter is, I'm more unfaithful oftentimes than I am faithful. Oh, don't look at me like that, like you're something different than that. The fact of the matter is, you are too. You are too, if you're honest with yourself. You're just unfaithful, so am I. Come on. I mean, I'm not worth the gunpowder it'd take to blow me away most of the time. The truth of the matter is I'm thankful that it doesn't depend on me. I'm thankful whenever God does something amazing, I'm kind of surprised. Like, wow, look at that. That's amazing. I didn't deserve that. And none of us do. But, oh, boy, when they realized what happened, the Bible says they were astonished. It means, it means they were literally amazed. They were shocked in a good way. Verse 17, but, but motioning to them in his hand to keep silent, he declared unto them how the Lord brought him out of the prison. Notice that, that the Lord brought him out. He knew where it came from. He knew what happened. He knew what was going on. And that's the way prayer should be. When God does it, you should be very clear and know that God did it. Here's one thing I can say of sure. God might answer your deepest prayer request without you praying. I mean, Samuel's the one that said, before, God said to Samuel, before you called, I answered you. But here's the little difference. Okay, you know God answers prayer. But you may not know that God answered your prayer. And the way you may not know God answered your prayer is you never actually offered it. How sad would it be that God has done so much in my life, answered so many prayers, did so many miracles, but I could not directly connect them because it actually wasn't me that prayed. Friend, I don't know about you. I want, I want to get right up over there on the courtside seats. And when it happens, I want to be sure that, God, I prayed about this, man. And I believe you now because I did. The Lord did this. I'm praying 2023 will be a year where we experience more answers to prayer than you've ever dreamed. And that you will know that God is real. And that you will know that God is still powerful, still on his throne, and still able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Let's pray together. We're going to sing in just a moment. We still have a few things to do. Just hang tight. I believe every service there are people here that maybe don't know Christ as Savior. Maybe you've never accepted him. Maybe you don't know. Maybe maybe God's kind of distant, foreign. Maybe not, not necessarily real to you. But he can be and wants to be personal. He died on the cross to make a way for you to trust him as 
Savior, to be forgiven of your sins, to be assured that heaven is your home. And I, I want to offer you that opportunity today. If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, He is the Son of God. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He rose again from the dead. And the Bible says He's the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through Him. Have you ever accepted that? You say, how do I accept that? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'm looking back at Randy back there, and Randy told me he was a high school student, and his shop teacher over here at Terry Parker High School, years ago, sat down with him when he was a teenager and showed him in the Bible how he could be saved. And I'm watching Randy shake his head every step of the way. Everything I'm saying, he's going, yep, that's right, because that happened to him. Lord, have mercy. That happened to me. I can tell you that for sure. There was a moment, a day in my life where I accepted Jesus as my Savior. I can, I, can take you, I can take you to the spot. I can take you to where my knees buried in that carpet. I just was there in January again, 25 years later, 27 years later. Hallowed be his name for that day. Do you have a day? Do you have a time where you've done that, accepted Christ? If not, you can do it right here and right now. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You can do that right now. Right there in, the, in, in your seat, you can just cry out to God. And I'm going to give you a way you can do that. It's not my prayer. It's not me. It's not anything magical. It's just what God says. Call upon me. And if right there in your seat, you just lift up your voice and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. I do not deserve to go to heaven. But I believe in Jesus. I believe he died. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And today I claim him as my only salvation. Thank you for loving me. Help me not to be ashamed of you. That is a request that God promises to hear. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Would you do that right now? Pray it right now. Ask him to be your savior. I wonder if there's anybody here that say, Preacher, I just prayed that prayer. I meant it. I'm glad I did. I, I asked Jesus to be my savior and I'm thankful for it. I want you to know, Preacher, I did that today. Anybody like that? Would you just lift your hand up and say, I did that. I prayed that prayer. God bless you and you. Good. And you, amen. That's great. Thank God for you. You can lower those hands. What a joy. What a joy. And I want to be the first to welcome you to the family of God. At the end of this service, um, somebody's going to give you a gift saying congratulations for the greatest decision you've ever made in your life. And let River City Baptist Church be there to help you along the way. We want to say praise God for you. Church, let's stand to our feet. We're going to sing. We're going to sing that new song. Well, I tell you what, this is a good one, Divine Exchange. Aren't you thankful for that divine exchange? Jesus took my place. And those of you that just accepted Christ, listen, this song is your song now. He took your place, died on your cross, rose from your grave so that you could have eternal life. We rejoice with you.
and I'll give you a chance to meet those folks and get a gift as soon as we're done singing and we got a business meeting just a minute. I promise you it'll be short. So just hang in there. But before we do all that, let's sing. Let's sing. Come on, guys. Let's sing together.